What a great way to start uh, a new series, right? It's baptism and celebrating what God is doing and has done. I'm thankful to be back after a great restful uh, time that you sent us on. Thank you so much. And I uh, understand God moved tremendously last week, and I pray that he will continue to do so. Today we're going to start a series in the book of Judges. And so, if you will, go ahead and turn your Bible to the Judges, book of Judges, but then kind of pull your finger over. We're going to read a little bit of the last chapter of Joshua to start us off. Let me begin by asking a pointed question. And I think this will drive our discussion. It will drive this series. It will drive what we need to understand and grasp onto as we try to understand how does the book of Judges apply to my life today? What is God speaking to the American Christian church from his word in the book of Judges? And this this question. So this, if you're a person who writes something down, this might be something you'd like to write down. What happens when God's people do not act? Like God's people. What happens when God's people do not act like God's people? The book of Judges helps us to see that this overarching idea of the people of God not acting like it has grave consequences, but also gives us tremendous hope. And we'll get to that as we walk through this. Um, in fact, this book of Judges may be better described as the book of deliverers. The book of deliverers. And we'll see that next week a little bit more as how God, the, the cycle of the, the people of Israel and how God worked in spite of them to deliver them out of the mess they had gotten into on their own. And, it's, and, and so you could describe it as Book of Deliverers. These, these judges, if you will, are not like uh, judge and jury. It's not like the Supreme Court that we you know, we know about and is in the news lately. Uh, it's not like that. These were tribal leaders. These were people that kind of rose up from uh, the midst of the group of people of, of God, the, the Israelites, and were identified as people who could help deliver them out of the difficulty that they had gotten themselves into. And God sends these again and again to deliver his people from their own failings. And he often uses people you would not expect. And it helps us to see that God is really the same yesterday today and forever, right? God has not changed. God will not change. The way he's been dealing with his people all along remains the same. And what we see in this book is a people desperately in need of God to work in their lives and change them from who they are to who he could make them to be. And that is the thing that you and I need to understand and see in our own lives. You are God's people. 
God has made covenant promises that He kept on your behalf in Jesus. Today, if you're here, and you may be here, maybe someone invited you, but I would even say that either you are God's people or God is working in your life to draw you in to His family, to bring you in and help you to see the glory, the beauty, the majesty of knowing God Almighty in your own very, very own life. But however you decide and understand that to be in this moment, I will say that God wants to work in you and through you to make you not what you once were, but to make you what you could be in Him. God has made promises to us that He kept in Jesus, and He kept on your behalf and my behalf in Him. I want you to think back to, for a moment to the promise that God gave Abraham. And what you may not understand or realize, uh, maybe, maybe, you're not new to, maybe you're new to church, maybe you don't know a lot about the Old Testament even, and, but what we see in, the, in, in Abraham's life is that God worked the covenant promise in his heart and in his life. A covenant is... Uh, an agreement between two parties and God initiated and fulfilled the covenant in Abraham's life. You see, God initiated and, and made promises to Abraham and then he initiated that covenant through a, uh, a common practice in that uh, Abraham laid out uh, sacrifices in a row, split them apart, and then God put him to sleep and fulfilled. He went through a smoke and a fire Symbolizing that he created and fulfilled both ends of the promise and the agreement. And that's what Christ did for you and I. And we get a picture of it in Abraham's life of what a covenant is initiated by God, not only initiated by God, but fulfilled by God. You see, two parties would make this agreement. One would walk through, the other would follow. But that's not how God did it. God did it in a more amazing way to show that he is the initiator of the promise and the fulfiller of the promise in your life, in my life. But see, the Israelites constantly forgot that and constantly tried to depend upon themselves or go their own way or do their own thing rather than depending upon their deliverer who was God all along. And so what we see is that his expectation is for his covenant people to remain in covenant with him. We don't expect anything different in our own life, right? If you sign a business contract today, you expect your partner to fulfill their promise, what they signed for, don't we? In our marriages, we hope and pray that, that our spouse will keep their end of the deal, that they will fulfill their part of the covenant of marriage, don't we? And the same is true for God. God expects those of, him, of us who are in covenant promise with him to act like it, to live like it, to make sure that we are following his way, loving him, living with him, depending upon him, devoted to him, like you would expect from your own, the own promises and covenants you make in human relationships, particularly in marriage. There's a key phrase in the book of Judges, and this is something 
You, you, if you're a person who writes something down, this is something I would encourage you to write down as well. It's found in chapters 17 and 21, and it states this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever seemed right to him. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and every did, everyone did whatever seemed right to him. The writer of this account, uh, some believe to be Samuel, of these deliverers gives an introduction in this first chapter. We're, we're actually not going to read the first chapter of Judges today. Uh, we're going to allude to it, and I encourage you to read it yourself. We're going to jump back to Joshua in just a moment, Joshua chapter 24, and then we're going to go to the end of this section, which is actually 2, 1 through 5, and see what happens based on what happened and what they did in the first book of Judges. And what reads as a, a record of conquest, it was, it was not uncommon for someone to write a list of, hey, we defeated this group and we defeated that group and we were valiant. And that's kind of what it reads like. It's a record of their wars and it's a record, uh, chapter one is a record of, of the things that took place. But what we see is not a record of conquest as much as it is a record of their failures. And we see that where they got to in chapters 17 and 21 started way back here. And what we can understand and see from our very own lives is that we deal with a, a, a place and a people. We live in a land where there is no king and people do whatever's right in their eyes. And it would be very easy for us in this moment to say, oh yeah, look at this, look at this group, look at that group. But what we need to do and what the Bible means for us to do is to hold it up to our own faces as a mirror and see where we fail and where we need to change and what God needs to do in our hearts, in our lives. And so I pray that the book of Judges will help us in our own lives to understand. One of the failures, and well, really the, the main thing that we see in the book of Judges is that Rather than the Israelites going in and conquering the land of Canaan, the Israelites go in and the people of Canaan conquer them. It's really the canonization of the Israelites. It's the worldly influence of these uh, non-believers, these corrupt people, these people who made child sacrifices as worship to other gods that, that God wanted them to be wiped out and sent out and pressed out of this land. The Israelites did not do that, and so they began to conquer them. And so we need to understand that and see as we jump in. But what I want to do is look first at Joshua chapter 24, Verse 14, and what we see, the very first thing that, that the writer of Judges says is that Joshua, Joshua died and then this happened. It's very similar to what the book of Joshua said where Moses died and then Joshua took over. And so we understand that Joshua had just led this group of people to, con to conquer the promised land that they had been promised years and years before. The fulfillment, the, the promise that was made initially to Abraham and then came through Moses and Moses took them. And you remember they went in to conquer. They sent 12 spies and those 12 spies came back and 10 of them said, no way, Jose, those guys are giants. They'll kill us all. We can't go in there. And Joshua 
Caleb and said, we can take it with the Lord behind us. With the Lord working in our favor, we can take it. And the people of Israel had to wander in the desert for 40 years. Moses led them through all that. Moses had his own faults and failures and could not go into the promised land. And so Moses died. Joshua took over and Joshua led the conquest of this land that God had promised them. That he said 40 years before they could take. And Joshua got to see much of that happen. But what we see is that Joshua uh, died, ceased to live any longer. And the people of Israel were at a crossroads. Again, and so I want you to see what Joshua warned them about in chapter 24, beginning in verse 14. Therefore, fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods your fathers worshipped beyond the Euphrates rivers and in Egypt and worship the Lord. But if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today. Which will you worship, the gods your fathers worshipped beyond the Euphrates river or the gods of the... Amorites in whose land you are living. He's speaking of these Canaanites that they are they're going in. The Amorites were a group of Canaanites. As for me and my family, this is on t-shirts, it's on mugs, it's on your it's on your wall, it's embroidered, right? It's it's cross-stitched. Mine too. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people replied, We will certainly not abandon. The Lord to worship other gods. For the Lord our God brought us and our fathers out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, and performed these great signs before our eyes. He also protected us all along the way. We went, and among all the peoples whose lands we traveled through, the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will worship the Lord because He is our God. Joshua knew their hearts. Joshua told the people, you will not be able to worship the Lord because he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions and sins. If you abandon the Lord and worship foreign gods, he will turn against you, harm you, and completely destroy you after he has been good to you. No, the people answered Joshua. We worship the Lord. Joshua then told the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you yourselves have chosen to worship the Lord. We are witnesses, they said. Then get rid of all the foreign gods that are among you and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And so the people said to Joshua, We will worship the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people at Shechem and established a statute and ordinance for them. Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God and he also took a large stone and set it up under the oak tree at the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, you see this stone, it will be a witness against us. For it has heard all the words the Lord said to us and it will be a witness against you so that you will not deny your God. And Joshua sent the people away, each to his own inheritance. What we see is that these Canaanites were corrupt people, and Joshua knew it. Joshua knew their influence, and they knew that they would, were already influenced. Notice he says, go now to your house and take care of all the foreign gods that are there in your houses now. He, didn't, he wasn't saying just be wary of that, and they said, we will. We will only worship God. Joshua knew their hearts, that they were easily 
that they were easily persuaded, that they were easily pushed into this thought and idea of living amongst these people and living in their, in their way in addition to the way God had saved them and changed them and, and, and shown them. They worshipped, uh, but these Canaanites, not only were they corrupt, they worshipped by offering children as sacrifice, and God didn't want His holy, His set-apart people, the people that represented Him, He didn't want them, the people that were in covenant with Him, He didn't want them to worship in this way. He didn't want them to be influenced in this way. He didn't want the people to syncretize with these Canaanite people. And Joshua warned the people of this before his death. And they said, we will worship God alone. And you get to chapter 1 and 2 of Judges. And they already failed him. One of the things that we see is that when we put our trust in people instead of God, we forget how to trust Him for everything. You see, these people had trusted in the leadership of a man. They trusted Joshua. They trusted Joshua to do the hard work for him, to do the heavy lifting for them. They had grown so accustomed to having either Moses or Joshua or someone in their place leading them, guiding them, that they trusted the man, the person, rather than the God that the man or the person served. And we have to be cautious. We have to be cautious in our lives. It's easy to say, well, look at them. Yeah, that's crazy. Why, why would they do that? But if we are not careful, we do the exact same things in our lives. Every four years or every two years when there's a new election cycle, we, we put our trust in one candidate or the other. And this is not a political uh, uh, position. This is just the truth. Uh, people look to someone to lead them, guide them, rescue them, deliver them, when we, as the people of God, first and foremost, should look to God to be our deliverer, to be our Savior, to be our Lord to be the one we are in covenant with and trust. And so we must be careful. Joshua led, but what happens when Joshua's gone? What do they say in, the, uh, in chapter 1 of Judges? It says, After the death of Joshua, the Israelites inquired of the Lord, Who will be the first to fight for us against the Canaanites? Who leads now? Who's the guy? Who's the person? Who are you going to put in front of us? And, and God says Judah's going to go out. And, and, and the, 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 the tribe of Judah goes and conquers. And everything looks like things are going well at first. In fact, through, chapter, uh, through verse 20, thing, they're, they're, they're conquering. There's a, uh, a specific Canaanite king that they uh, give justice to and seems like it's going well. God was there. God, they spoke to God. God answered them. But they wanted a man or a person or someone to lead them rather than trusting in their God. And what we must understand that we, though we, are, we oftentimes want a person to look to, someone to follow, to lead us, to guide us, 
God must lead us and guide us. And ultimately, Jesus, or God corrected this through his own means. Rather than sending a, a man, a woman, to be the one who delivered them, eventually he sent himself, he sent his own son, he sent Jesus to deliver us. He sent Jesus to save us. He became the deliverer himself. And now... Today, in this day and age, we don't have to look to a person. We look to the Savior. We look to our Deliverer. And the Bible teaches us is that His Spirit, when we are in covenant relationship with Him, when we've said, Jesus, I trust You, I live for You, I identify with Your death, burial, and resurrection as Bryn did today, that Christ is her Savior. He is in her, and her, His Spirit dwells in us. And the Spirit guides us where we couldn't go ourselves. But before that, God would send deliverer after deliverer and people would look to them and no longer look to God. No longer trust God for everything. The second thing we see here is that we must be careful what influences we allow in our lives. God may very well allow them as thorns in our side. So like I said, chapter 1, 1 through 20, I encourage you to read that. We see things are going pretty well. Beginning in verse 21, it states, At the same time, the Benjaminites, a group of the people of God, did not drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. And the Jebusites have lived among the Benjaminites in Jerusalem to this day. They didn't drive them out, and they became infiltrated in their ranks. And again and again and again, we see failures of various tribes not driving the people out of their land, and then those people drove themselves into the hearts and into the lives of the Israelites. Look at what God, the angel of the Lord, says to the people of God at that moment. Chapter 2, verse 1. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you out of the Egypt and led you into the land I had promised to your fathers. I also said, I will never break my covenant with you. You are not to make a covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You are to tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed me. What is this you have done? Therefore, I now say, I will not drive out these people before you. They will be thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a trap for you. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these words to all the Israelites, the people wept loudly. So they named that place Bochum and offered sacrifices there to the Lord. The refrain of the surrounding world to God's people has always been the same. Conform to us. Conform to our ways, not God's ways. On social media this week, uh, Tim Keller, a, a great thinker, a theologian, a former pastor, stated this, this about this same thought and he's speaking about the Roman Empire 
of Jesus' day. And it said, Roman Empire, you Christians are too exclusive. You threaten the social order because you won't honor all deities. In the modern West, he says, says this to us. You Christians are too exclusive. You threaten the social order because you won't all honor all identities. And you see, the world wants to squish us and squeeze us into the mold that it has. And that's what was happening in the, with the Canaanites. It was, it was, it was trying to, to get them to be like them. And because they did not eradicate it, because they did not get rid of it, their way of living was, was seeping in and it eventually changed God's people from looking like God's people to now looking like the rest of the world that surrounded them. And we must be careful what we allow to influence our lives, our thinking, our thoughts and ideas because God may allow that to be a thorn in our sides. The third thing that we see, the final thing that we see, the world wants us to conform to its way of living. God wants His people to transcend the world. As I was studying this, one of the commentaries I read from uh, Block um, he says, like the ancient Israelites, we too are being squeezed into the mold of the pagan world around us. God wants his people to reflect him to the surrounding world instead. In what ways have you been squeezed into the mold of the surrounding world. How can you renew your relationship to your loving Father who has done everything imaginable for you, only wanting you to be like Him, to be set apart and to represent Him more fully to the surrounding world? You see, in the day of the, of the Israelites and the Canaanites, God was just establishing His nation. I mean, it had taken years and years and years to do that. I mean, 40 years in the wilderness after they'd been rescued out of Egypt and they'd been there for 400 years. So it took a long time to get the Egypt out of them, even though they were out of Egypt. And then the lifetime of Joshua and even further. But God was trying to establish his people, teach them his ways, teach, him, teach them who he was and how they could be like him. Today, because of what Jesus has done in our life and because the Holy Spirit indwells us, He does it a little bit differently in that He wants you to be changed by Him. Jesus has saved us, changed us, and rearranged our lives. And the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us so that the world we live in will be influenced by us rather than the world we live in influencing our lives and squeezing it in us into its mold. So God wants us, his people, his children, his, those in covenant relationship with him through Jesus Christ, he wants us to reflect who he is and who Jesus is to the rest of the world. So my encouragement to you is rather than being squeezed into the world, Jesus needs to be squeezed into us. Think about baptism. 
As Baptists, we baptize by immersion. Why do we do that? Because the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit baptizes us when Jesus becomes our Savior. The Holy Spirit immerses us, saturates us, fills us, covers us. Jesus squeezes himself into us fully and freely. Ephesians 5.18 says that we should be filled with the Holy Spirit we, so that nothing else remains of ourselves. It's all gone. And so today, you and I, as baptism represents us being fully immersed in Christ and what he's done, being fully immersed in his death, burial, and fully immersed in his resurrection, raised to life with him, that you and I should live as we are living because of what Christ has done and because Christ is in us. And so may that be true of our lives. Today. May we not be squeezed into the mold of the world. May Christ be so saturating our hearts and our lives that we make a difference wherever we go. How do you respond today? Number one, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you'd like to, you can trust Him in this moment. You can have Him as your Savior. You can have Him fully saturate your life, change you, rearrange you, make you new. If you'd like to do that, you can simply come forward in this moment. If you're online with us you'd, you'd, or you're in the room and you'd rather text the word ALIVE to 423-455-9458, that gives you the opportunity to talk with me. We'd love to walk with you, help you learn what it means to be a follower of Christ in your life. But I would imagine there are some of us here today, and when we answer that question, how have we been squeezed into the mold of the world around us? We think of some things. My prayer is that in this moment, we would put that mirror before our own eyes and say, God, how do I need to be more like my Savior? How do I need to be more like Jesus? How do I need to be more like God and His deliverer? Him delivering me out of what I once was to what now He wants me to be. Let me ask you the question again. What happens when the people of God no longer look like the people of God? Let me ask you another question. What happens when the people of God reflect Him to the world who desperately needs Him? My prayer is that is what God will do in my life and in your life, even today. We're going to pray. The team's going to come. If God is moving in your heart and he's moving in your life, you respond to him today. If you need help with that, I'd be glad to help you. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for an opportunity, God, to worship you again, to read your word, to look at an ancient text and try to understand how it affects me today, God. And I would say, God, it's very clear the world will very much like us to be squeezed into its mold. But God, I pray that you would squeeze us. You'd fill us with the Holy Spirit. And we could shine for you in this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? And as you stand, if God is moving in your heart, you respond as we sing today.